We continue to worship God now, having our hearts prepared for His gospel with that beautiful music. Let's stand together for the reading of the gospel lesson from John chapter 1. Beginning in the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Our sermon today begins where the scripture reading that Ruth read for us ends. It begins with humble hearts, repentance. It begins with turning around and turning back towards God. Humility and repentance are not popular words that we talk about every day. But I came across the story this week that I hope will kind of take us into the text this morning. It's a true story from around the 1840s, I think right about 1848. It was in a hospital in Vienna, and there were two divisions that performed childbirths. The first division was a floor of doctors, and the second division were a floor of midwives. And it became clear that there was a big divide, and I'll tell you why. It was a sad reason the doctors began to notice that one in five of their patients, their moms giving birth sadly, were passing away. 20% death rate among the moms who were giving birth. They were getting something known at that time as childbirth fever. Compared to just Division Two, same hospital, where they were only seeing one in 50 or sometimes one in 100 moms dying of the same thing. And the doctors wondered why the staggering difference. They got in a discussion about this one day, and I don't know why they did this, but in between deliveries, they were often doing autopsies downstairs. And in between deliveries, talking about this 
high mortality rate and wondering uh, what was the cause, one of the doctors cut his finger with a scalpel when he wasn't paying attention. And Dr. Simmelweis made note of that, especially as his friend got sick with many of the same symptoms that his patients were dying from of childbirth fever. And so he instituted a practice that was not popular and had not been done widely up until that day. Based on his observations, he decided that every medical student, every doctor, every person who would bring care on his division would wash their hands before working with a patient. You see, up until this time, that wasn't common practice. And when he began to make the argument that it was the doctors themselves not washing their hands that were causing the harm, his colleagues ridiculed him. How could you think such a thing that we would be the cause, that we would be the culprits of the deaths before us? But the facts spoke for themselves because very quickly, Division I's numbers began to change. And instead of a 20% death rate, it went to 1.3% almost overnight. But Dr. Simmelweis and these good results remained quiet for 13 years. You see, he was ridiculed over and over again by his colleagues. He was angered by this ridicule. And even though there were some who encouraged him to share this story with the world, he didn't publish his results for 13 years. For 13 years, people continued to die because the story was kept under wraps. For 13 years, Dr. Simmelweis was ridiculed for telling the truth. You see, our hearts today are being invited, as we read in 1 John this morning, and as Ruth read for us, to be prepared to walk in the light with humility and repentance. This means walking in the truth and acknowledging our sin before God may not seem too earth-shattering. Just like washing hands might not seem too earth-shattering. But quickly we soon discover that it is. And just like Simmelweis's colleagues didn't want to hear the truth, you and I in the world that we live in often don't either. And so I wouldn't call it very earth-shattering that we come before God with repentant hearts seeking forgiveness, except that it was when Jesus was on the cross. And as He bled and died, the earth in fact did shake. And as it shook, He brought salvation to the world. 
Sin permeates our world today. It permeates our own hearts. How many of you locked your doors at your house before you came to church this morning? Did you lock your cars before you came in? I hope you did. If you rode a bike, did you padlock it? At school, do you lock your locker or at the gym? You do that, right? Because you know that there are some folks who just don't follow the Eighth Commandment to thou shalt not steal. But guess what? Sin isn't just out there done by someone else. I know when I look at my own heart and the darkness of my own heart, I am chief among sinners. So how can a sinner like me and a sinner like you hope to walk in the light like John invites us to in our reading today? And it has to do with the grace of God. It has to do with humility and repentance and listening to the truth sometimes we don't want to hear. Over the next five weeks, 1 John will answer the questions about who Jesus is, who true Christians are, and how we are to live. So this morning we'll be in chapter 1, next week chapter 2, and so forth. So I invite you to read along with us. John does this with a purpose. And we read that purpose in verse 4 this morning. He says, so that all of this, so that our joy may be complete. Do you want joy? Do you want to know and wonder? Have you ever wondered who Jesus really is? Do you want to know the answer to that question? John will tell us. Do you want to know if you, in fact, are walking in the light of God? John will tell us. If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then these next five weeks in the book of 1 John, this letter that was written by Jesus' best friend is for you. And so our faith is testified to by these great witnesses. Witnesses that we read today, saw with their own eyes, touched with their own hands. And here, knowing who that witness is is important. John was the first of the disciples to be called by Jesus. Called the one whom Jesus loved. Brother of James. A regular guy, a fisherman. But present at the transfiguration. With Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. Among the first at the empty tomb. A participant in God's healing work with the lame in Acts author of the Gospel of John, whose words echo in the beginning, and now it brings it into this letter, in the beginning again. You see, he tells us that, not just as a poetic way of entering into his letter, but to remind us that God himself was revealed in Jesus, who is God, who was there at the very beginning of time, and now is with us, incarnate. John wants us to know this is, Jesus was both God and man. 
And just so you wonder, in case you wonder, there was, as some have, there was no time for this understanding of Jesus as both God and man to become just a legend or a myth. John wrote these words down in 1 John around, at least we know, before 90 AD. That's like internet speed in ancient history. And as he testifies the truth of who Jesus is, it's to lead us to the truth of the joy that he wants to be made complete in us. Already, in just these few years since Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended, heresies and false teachings were cropping up. Many scholars think that John was addressing in this letter uh, this heresy of Gnosticism and uh, Docetism, which, among other things, believed, among other things, believed that Jesus just seemed to appear and just seemed to be God and just seemed to be in the flesh. And John wants us to know, no, 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 I saw with my own eyes. I touched with my own hand. This Jesus was both God and man. Another scholar kind of paraphrasing John's words put it like this. I liked what he said. He said, those docetic Gnostics who slipped into your church are teaching you something that's entirely false. They deny the incarnation of Jesus. And what they deny... However, I experienced personally. I was there with Jesus during His earthly ministry. I saw Him with my own eyes, heard Him speak with my own ears, and touched Him with my own hands. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that His body was real. This Jesus is the one whose blood paid the price for our sins. Remember, if we live in the darkness, it brings about death, just like the darkness that those in the 1840s lived under, allowing germs to bring about death. If we live in the darkness of our sin without Christ, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But in Christ, the free gift of life through Christ Jesus is our salvation. Why pay for something yourself that's already been paid for? But if we cover up that sin and we say it isn't there, then we let the microbes of sin work its work of death on us. And we believe so many false teachings still today. Does this sound familiar? The Gnostics thought, well, I can just, since, since Jesus only seem to appear, then the body doesn't matter, so I can do whatever I want with my body. It doesn't matter how I act or live. It just matters about this special knowledge, this secret word. Or from the other side of the coin, the same Gnostics took an ascetic viewpoint and they said, oh, well, uh, I, need to, I need to beat my body into submission and follow every dot and word of the law and not miss anything lest I come to death. 
Both are heirs. And John says to us today, come to Jesus who is both God and man who brings about life. In verse 6 and 7, the blood of Jesus leads us not only into fellowship with God, but with one another. But when we cover our eyes and we ban like often we do and our culture does, the sin from our very vocabulary, it's important for us to know we can ban it from our vocabulary, but not our veins. We still put up bulletproof windows and 12-inch steel doors and banks. We still have bars and jails. Yes, sin is ever before us. The criminal justice system reminds us of that picture. But again, it's not just out there. It's in here. And how do we deal with that? Well, God moved first. In the beginning, He created us. God moved first. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Let us allow the truth to work on us so that we can be Restored. A couple of examples. One from my own life. I wish, I wish the truth would have come out much sooner than it did. At our church, growing up, we did a talent show. And I thought it would be a great idea to sing at the talent show. And my gracious and loving youth minister wanting to bring kind words to me, thought, you know, it's popular. Why don't you try lip-syncing that instead? (laughs) I said, no, 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 no. I want to sing it. Well, the truth came crashing down at that that talent show when she lovingly decided to sing with me. I don't know why. Well, I think I know why. And that first note got belted out, and I realized the note she was singing was not the note I was singing. It's been like that my whole life. Thank God there wasn't something called American Idol, because I would have been on one of the first episodes, you know, when you're making fun of the folks who can't sing. Wouldn't it be great if someone would have told them or told me before we made fools of ourselves? We need the truth, and sometimes it's not fun to hear. The story is told about a woman who tried everything. Darkness just seemed to permeate her life. She couldn't think of herself in any other way. She beat herself up at every turn. She sought help. She went to every kind of therapy. Good and righteous things they were. We need this kind of medical treatment to help us sometimes in those dark hours. But what she didn't know is what ailed her wasn't her body, but in fact her spirit. And she went to a pastor and said, I've tried everything else, and so I guess I'll come to the church. Maybe you can help me. And the pastor wisely said this very countercultural thing. Well, maybe these ill thoughts that you have about yourself, these dark thoughts, maybe, maybe your problem is, is you're not acknowledging that they're true. 
She was stunned. Not because God hadn't made His creation good, but because sin had permeated this world and she needed that sin to be dealt with. With the God who does deal with it. With the truth. The saving grace that we hear in 1 John today. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the promise of God. God moved first, first in creating us good, and then now redeeming us from the brokenness of our sin. So I ask again, do you want joy? Do you want to walk no longer in darkness, but in the light? Maybe you've been with Jesus your whole life and you need to be reminded that this promise of forgiveness is there for you. You can be redeemed. There is no darkness that His light cannot overcome. Or maybe you're just getting to meet this Jesus and you need to know this promise is real. He really did move first. He really did show up. He didn't just seem to come to earth. He didn't just seem to die on the cross. John bears witness with his own eyes, with his own ears. He touched and saw that the Lord is good. Listen to Jesus' best friend. Listen to the Word of God. And walk in the light as it implies, to walk in the truth. These verbs of believing throughout 1 John. Jesus takes the first steps. And now He invites us to turn towards Him to repent and receive this great gift. And so this sermon ends where this first chapter of 1 John ends with this call to repentance. So as you're able, I invite you to stand and turn to page 10 of this blue book of worship and come before God who promises us to give us life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of Your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love You and worthily magnify Your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. 
Amen. And so we receive this word of promise. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us. And for His sake, God forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ, and by His authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.